Welcome to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, send it in to podcast at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join the Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Right now, I am up at my family's cabin. It's so relaxing up here. I'm not sure why, but it really helps me relax when I'm in a completely different space. I got to get out of my usual space and into a new place to kind of let my shoulders down and really relax. And that's kind of what I have been needing. I've been looking forward to this vacation that I planned for a long time. I blocked out two weeks of my schedule and I said I'm taking a real vacation because I tend to turn every vacation into more work. And I actually wasn't planning on recording this episode, but then I realized a few days ago that the episode I had planned to come out today, I didn't want to release today because the day this is released, I will be on my week-long social media detox with the other women in my Paleo Women Lifestyle Program. That's my online course all about health for women. And we're doing this week-long social media detox. We did it for a weekend a while back and wanted to do a full week. So that's happening right now. So I didn't want to release an episode with a guest because... Whenever I have a guest on, I want to make sure I'm on social media so I can promote it and give them lots of shout outs. So I thought it would be a good time to pop another solo episode in there. Plus, I have a lot of updates about things that I wanted to talk about and share with you guys. So kind of before I get into that, what have I been doing? I got back from the retreat. I was home for like two-ish days and then drove up to our cabin, which is like a haven for me because I feel like no one can get to me. So there's no cell phone service up here, but we do have Wi-Fi, which we actually didn't get until relatively recently for a long time up here. There was no internet, no phone service. So when we came up here, we were truly disconnected from everything. But Even just not having cell phone service helps a lot. So no one can call me. And in terms of internet, it's just easier for me to kind of not check and not go on. Like I don't want to check my email. I don't really check my texts often. Sometimes I just turn it off. And when we're out doing things, like if I go out for a walk, if we go to the lake or the river or just sitting outside, I don't have my my phone with me because I know I'm not going to get any service because I'm not in Wi-Fi zone anyways. So it's easier to disconnect and I know I've really been needing that personally. Plus, I really needed to catch up on my sleep, which is something I'm very proud of myself for because 
I have just been sleeping in, not setting an alarm, sleeping as long as I want, and a few days of that, and I already feel amazing, and I plan on continuing this for the rest of my two-week-long vacation, and I mean, I'm sleeping in very late. It kind of surprised me. Usually when I do that, I feel bad, and I don't feel bad at all about it. It's amazing because I need it, but what also has been helping me sleep is my Somnifix, of course. So if you guys don't already know about Somnifix, Somnifix is mouth tape. So you put this over your mouth and these are specially designed strips that have a little breathable vent in the front. So you don't have to worry about suffocating. If you need to, you can part your lips a little bit and breathe through them. They're also especially designed to not hurt when you take them off. They can just kind of pop on and off. They're hypoallergenic. So people ask, oh, could I use just regular tape? I'm like, sure you could, but it's probably going to hurt when you take it off. You don't have the breathable vent. And if there's skin irritation, don't get mad at me. But this is why I love Somnifix. And I've been using Somnifix for quite some time now. I have a blog post all about why I use it and why Mouth taping is so ideal, but we really aren't meant to breathe out of our mouths. We're meant to eat with our mouths and breathe through our noses. So breathing through your nose is much more efficient in terms of breathing, but also just in terms of health is helpful. So it helps with nitric oxide production. It helps support our immunity. It also helps to support our mouth, our mouth health or oral health and therefore our gut health which is crazy you can also help with athletic performance when you're learning to breathe properly and also with memory focus during the day concentration but really in terms of sleep ever since I started using this I've just gotten the best sleep of my life and now if there are ever nights where I don't have it I notice a difference. I do not feel good. I wake up still feeling groggy and tired, which is no fun. So I depend on my Somnifix to make sure I get a good night's sleep and it keeps your mouth closed while you sleep. And a lot of people don't realize that they're waking up in the middle of the night because they're breathing through their mouths and then this is causing a spike in cortisol and then you wake up. And waking up during the night is not normal. It might be common for people, but that's because there's a greater underlying issue. So sometimes it can mean that you have a blood sugar issue um, or a cortisol spike for another reason if you have a different underlying issue. But for a lot of people, I think that they're waking up because the cortisol is spiking because their mouths are open when they're sleeping. So for me, I don't wake up in the middle of the night anymore because my mouth stays closed and it keeps me in that parasympathetic rest and digest state. So if you want to learn more about the benefits of mouth taping, then definitely check out my blog post all about it. It's on my website, christinaricewellness.com. And if you want to get yourself some Somnifix, which I highly recommend you do, I suggest you use my discount code. It's CRWSLEEP for 15% off at Somnifix.com. You can go to Amazon and pick up your Somnifix too, and you can use that discount code CRWSLEEP. That'll get you 15% off of your first box. I was trying to slap some Somnifix on my mom the other day because she snores. She'll never listen to this, so she won't care, but she'll sit on the couch and just snore because she's whenever she's up here, she just sleeps all day. And uh, I was like, mom, I can't, I can't focus on things when you're snoring all day. I should have just put the Somnifix on her, but I felt like that was violating her. So I didn't, but 
Anyways, make sure you check out Somni Fix. Support them. Love that company. And that also supports the show when you support brands that I love. So, yeah. But anyways, basically, I've been sleeping a lot while I've been here. I've been trying to just actually relax and watching a lot of movies and TV and going on walks outside. It's really nice. We ran into a bear yesterday, which made me uncomfortable, and I wanted to go the other way, <laughs> so we left, but yeah, there are bears up here. I tried to avoid them, and I survived. I don't know what I would do if a bear actually came after me. Let's hope not. So that's kind of what's going on in my life right now, and I really have been needing this break, honestly, as part of of supporting my health right now because I'm kind of going through a lot with my health and I know that so much of it is rooted in stress like stress triggers so many different diseases and health symptoms and issues and I know that a lot of what's going on with me at the root is stress so I'm making a lot of big life changes in that realm to work on reducing my stress because I need to address things and I know I've mentioned it here and there, but I have, it's kind of a lot to go into and I don't really want to go into it right now, so I'm not, but I'll probably end up writing a blog post kind of explaining everything, but I have really poor detox, I found out that basically my body can't detoxify like a normal person, so kind of everything that supports detoxification for 99% of the population makes it worse for me. And I have sulfur and ammonia buildup in my body and thyroid issues. And this is also what's causing gut issues. But all of this is also tied into I have heavy metals that can't get out of my body because I can't detox. And all this stuff basically comes back to needing to support my body so that it can detox from the sulfur and ammonia in order to detox from the heavy metals and a lot of that has to do with de-stressing so the stress is real but there's a lot that goes into that whole conversation and also this kind of brings me into like kind of the one of the main things I wanted to update you guys on which I'm really excited about and ties into kind of a lot of things I've been changing in my life and in the past few months I don't know that I've really directly talked about it but if you follow me I'm sure you've caught bits of this here and there I have been really into energy healing and Energy healing is something that I kind of thought was woo-woo and dumb for a long time. And I'm a very logical person. Usually, like I'm, I tend to be very logical. That's the best way to reason with me is logic. If you're in a fight with me or you're trying to convince me of something, your best way to get me to persuade me of anything is with logic not with emotion like I think some people are persuaded via logos others via pathos and I am a logos kind of girl so when it came to health issues and studying health I've always been the type of person who's looking for kind of a black or white answer 
um, using, you know, nutrition, supplements, lifestyle, like these things I could, I could clearly understand and see and find like logical explanations for why these work. But over the years, as I've grown and I would like to think matured, I've come to realize that if you block yourself off to only things that you can explain, you're missing out on a huge part of healing. You're missing out on a huge part of life, expanding your life, expanding your knowledge. And especially in terms of healing, you know, a lot of people can seem like they're doing everything right and just reach this wall. And why is that? It's because they are only going part of the way. If you're not addressing the energy in your body, if you're not addressing your emotions, your past history, what these things that are built up inside us that, you know, a, a scientific study can't explain, then you're not going to get all the way there. I'm just going to that's just my opinion and what I have experienced. And, you know, I kind of kind of reached a point in the past year where I was like, okay, I need to just open myself up to these new these new ideas, these other ways of healing and see what this is about. And so I started just wanting to learn about it. And I I did. And I, I started seeing a bunch of different energy healers. And, you know, that's I've talked about how I've seen a few different mediums. I used to really not buy into any of that. And experiencing energy healing for myself and I really changed my perspective and I, I felt the difference and I thought, wow, I, I mean, I can't believe it, but my, my mind has been changed and I started to recognize how important this was. And then also, I mean, living in Los Angeles is nice because I think people are a lot more open-minded than maybe in other cities. You know, you can find someone doing anything there. So I talked to more and more people and there are a lot of doctors in Los Angeles who are starting to incorporate energy healing into their practices because they're seeing and recognizing the usefulness of that modality of healing. And, you know, I was talking to my old FMD and he has made a huge transition in his practice and is really focused on that and refers a lot of his patients to different energy healers and, Actually, I have a podcast episode coming out with him soon, which is cool. But in talking to other individuals as well, you know, these people who are trained in sciences, who are also very sure of the fact that, you know, that isn't all of it. You have to also address this this energy work as well. And so personally, I I'm a big believer in it, and I really think that people should explore the idea of it if you're closed off to it. It has totally changed my life in the past few months as I've really um, gotten more into it and experienced different things, and it's kind of hard to articulate until you experience it for yourself, and so I think if someone's wary, I mean, I would I would recommend just trying it, like, just try some energy healing and see how you, how you feel, and if you notice differences, because for me, it's been really helpful emotionally and physically. So that's kind of how I was getting into these things. But this leads me into kind of what I want to chat with you about is I I haven't really talked about it anywhere publicly, but I, for the past 
few months have been studying Reiki to become a Reiki practitioner. And that's kind of what I'm doing now. And that's kind of the direction that much of my business is going to go in because I feel very passionate about Reiki healing and it has changed my life and I know it's changed so many other people's lives and I'm just really passionate about it. So, I mean, Reiki is a type of energy healing and so kind of what you have to understand is that there's energy in everything in the universe and Reiki means universal life force energy, basically. And it's a Japanese method of energetic healing. It's helpful for emotional, spiritual, physical healing. And the way it works is a Reiki practitioner acts as a channel for Reiki energy. And the Reiki practitioner will use their hands to channel that Reiki energy to another person And that Reiki energy will help charge the person with this positive energy, release any energy that's no longer serving them. And it's really helping to change your energy at a cellular level. People don't realize how their energy is affected, oftentimes in the form of different memories or beliefs, also physical things in the body. And Reiki energy will go where the body needs it. And... Sometimes people feel things, so oftentimes people will feel kind of a a heat from the hands or heat in a certain area, or maybe they'll just feel something in certain parts of their bodies. Sometimes there's a strong emotional release. Sometimes people just start crying and they don't know why. Um, Sometimes things show up a few days later where you might be sore or tired, or you might all of a sudden have a lot of energy and feel happy and not really know why. Or sometimes people, when they're getting Reiki, they kind of, they see things or they just feel different things. Everyone has a different experience. And sometimes people receive Reiki and they don't actually feel anything. But even if you feel nothing, it's still working. It is working on that cellular energetic level that you just might not even realize. Um, And also part of this has to do with chakras. So chakras are different energy centers in our bodies. And each chakra is associated with different organs, different health issues, emotions, colors, elements. So balancing out your chakras can help you physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you want your chakras to be balanced individually as well as in relation to each other and it's interesting because you know if you ever have someone kind of check your chakras and you see which ones are out of balance and you kind of look up what that chakra corresponds to it might help you understand certain areas of your life that you might want to focus on so for instance when I am performing Reiki on someone I will do an aura scan, I will balance their chakras and then perform the Reiki. And this can be done in person. It can also be done via distance. So I have been loving it. I feel very passionate about it. It's definitely been opening up my third eye. And I think everyone, well, all my friends and the girls in my program know how obsessed I am with my little pendulum. I have this pendulum that's basically like my pet and pendulums are cool because you can ask them yes or no questions and they'll 
answer for you. <laughs> um, so I love my little pendulum and the Reiki has been really, really amazing. I performed Reiki on all the girls at the retreat last weekend and it was, I think it really helped to kind of open up a lot of emotions and I know some of the girls had relief from physical pain as well, which was awesome. So that's kind of something new that's been really amazing in my life personally. And part of becoming a practitioner is healing yourself with Reiki for some time, focusing on that, and then moving on to healing others. And to become a practitioner, you study under a Reiki master. And there are actually a bunch of different ways to become a Reiki practitioner. And there are some people who just like go to a weekend long workshop and then become a practitioner um, or things you can do online. And to be quite honest, I don't really buy into that. I mean, I'm not going to say anything. I just like, I've been studying for a while under my Reiki master Firestar, <laughs> her name is Firestar, and she's seriously incredible. She's a psychic, medium, intuitive, Reiki, spiritual teacher. She's incredible. And if you want, if you want to get in touch with a psychic, definitely reach out to Firestar. She can do that over the phone as well. And her website is firestarbodywork.com. But she is my Reiki master. And, you know, she's not, she was like, I'm not putting you out into the world to perform Reiki on people unless you really know what you're doing and you're very strong with your energetic work because she doesn't want her name attached to <laughs> anything less than amazing Reiki healing. Um, but, yeah, so she's been amazing, and so it's definitely been quite a process studying this and um, doing a lot of the healing and working my way up to it, and I feel very prepared and very good about all of this. So she's been an incredible Reiki master and spiritual mentor in my life, and yeah, it's really cool, and I've also been surprised at you know, I know that this might not be something that everyone in my life is super open to, but I've been surprised how many people really are. Like some of my family members and my friends who I thought for sure were going to be skeptical, like people who still give me crap for just eating paleo, which I don't really get why that's controversial, but whatever. Um, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to think I'm real woo woo now. You know, people make fun of me for rubbing my essential oils on them, but when I told a lot of when I told people about Reiki, everybody has been like, oh my gosh, please do it on me. I think that's so helpful. Like I want to get the healing done. So I'm really happy that people are so open to this because I think it's so important and it has helped me monumentally. And I think it's gonna help a lot of other people as well. And kind of originally when I got into this, it was this combination between like I wanted to do this for myself and heal myself but also I felt like long term you know I see this a lot with clients like they can be doing everything right with their nutrition their supplements their lifestyle and they just have this block and I feel like I'm reaching this block with them this energetic block like I'm trying to get them to open up because they're not realizing how these internal stressors are festering as disease in the body and I'm trying to get them to kind of tap into that we need to go back to their history we need to do that psychological work and people are just blocked and I was like, this will help people really get unblocked. That we need to open up your heart chakra, your throat chakra. We need to 
see what other chakras are out of balance. We need to get you some good energy. We need to release the energy that's stored in your body that is just not serving you. And I saw how this could be so incredibly beneficial for my clients as well as myself. And I'm really excited about it and I love it. And I am like very into Reiki now. Like this is kind of all I think about all day and do. And I have been doing Reiki on a lot of people. I'm not offering it as a service on my site yet. Right now I'm just doing it um, kind of with people I know in person. But I think relatively soon I'll open it up as a service that I can offer people if you want to do a distance Reiki session or if you're in the area in person. And I can do Reiki chakra balancing. We can do a pendulum session to answer any questions you have. I can tell you any reads I get on you because part of this is also kind of connecting to your third eye. And so sometimes I might see things. I'm really connected to like auras and colors um, or like names, words, important things. So yeah, energy healing is amazing. I'm obsessed with it. And I think it's something that everyone should just learn about at least. And it's also funny because this is something that at the NTA conference this year, they talked about a ton. Energy healing had its own panel and so many people were just kind of really focusing on that. And it was kind of newer to me at that time. And looking back on it, I'm like, wow, no wonder they spent so much time chatting about this because it is transformative for people like there are people who start doing energy healing not just reiki but like there are tons of different you know methods of energy healing um who are doing this who have had these chronic health issues who this is the answer like this heals them so and i mean when you're in a position where you've tried everything and you're just at the end of your rope you're like i will try every anything so nothing to lose i mean like it's like reiki energy won't hurt anyone it's it can only do it can only be helpful so nothing to lose there but yeah so that's kind of what's new in my life and i'm very very into that so i'll probably be talking more about that i definitely want to do some blog posts on it and if you have questions that you want me to talk about in a future episode I would love to share more about it, but this is just a new part of my life that I want to share with you guys, and I have been feeling kind of strange because I've been keeping it to, well, not necessarily just to myself. I kept it to myself for a while, and then I started telling my friends and family about it because I was just, like, doing this for me, but all my podcast listeners and blog readers, I feel like you guys are my friends too. And so it's been feeling weird that I have been, this has been such a big part of my life the past five months or so. And I haven't really talked about it yet. So I want to talk about it. And now you know where I'm at. Okay. So that's kind of like my update. I want to get into questions from you guys, but before I do that, well, this is kind of a question from you, kind of not, but I posted on my stories a bit ago maybe a week ago or so this girl commented on one of my posts and she was clearly trying to prove a point that eating animal products is bad and was trying to make a point implying that veganism was better Uh, and she asked me a few questions that I don't think she actually wanted to know the answers to, but she just kind of wanted to 
poke there. And here's the frustrating thing. So anytime someone asks me something, I really want to respond. But it's really hard when someone asks a question and the question itself is a, is a short question, but the response would to accurately respond to this fully would require a long explanation. And so it can get kind of frustrating because I know people will ask questions to try and prove points because they think that people can't respond to it. And it's not that they can't, it's more of just like, how can you expect me to put into what could fit into a novel into a thousand characters or what? I don't, that's not the limit. I don't know, but there's just no way. And also to ask someone to try and argue a huge topic in an Instagram comment is just really silly. Like, I'm sorry, I don't have the time to sit down and write novels on Instagram. I just can't. So quick tip, if you ever have a like a big question that requires a lengthier response and you legitimately want an answer, the best way to go about that is to probably put it somewhere other than an Instagram comment or or if you're going to put it there, say something like could you address this in a in a post or a a podcast or something? Just putting that out there. Anyway, so I didn't want to respond. I started to respond to her comment and then realized it would take me like 30 minutes to type something out that would even start to portray my feelings around it. And then decided I wasn't going to post it because I just, first of all, didn't want to fuel her negative energy because I could just tell she didn't actually want to know what I was going to say, even though she said in the comment that she did, which is just whatever. Anyways, Um, I decided not to feel that negative energy and decided that I would just rather verbally say it. And a ton of people were like, please talk about it on the podcast. So I'm going to talk about it on the podcast. So basically she commented on my bowl of meat because I eat meat, two things. So we'll go one by one. The first, she goes, would you be comfortable personally slaughtering the pig and cow that gave you this meat? Honestly curious. This is my primary question for all meat eaters, and more specifically, those that claim the benefits of, quote, eating like our ancestors. Quote, could you live like our ancestors? That's her question, because she honestly is curious. Okay, I'll honestly answer this. And I had a few people say, can you please address this? Because I don't know how to respond to vegans who say things like this. Okay, I will I will say what I think. Um, this maybe you there are a few different facets to this, and maybe you take this the wrong way. But it's okay, okay. Would you personally be comfortable slaughtering the pig and cow that gave this meat? To be quite honest, if I was in a situation where that was how I was gonna have to survive, yeah, I would do it. You, I don't think people understand the things they will do when they are truly hungry and starving and like if that's the only option. There have been a lot of different social experiments on this, books written about it, uh, fiction and nonfiction, but we do we do things that we might not ever think we could do when we are in a situation where our health is on the line. When you are in a state of extreme hunger and nutrient depletion, you do not think 
or emote in the same way as you do when you are fully nourished and well-fed. And this also ties back to, you know, a few episodes ago when I mentioned the Minnesota starvation experiment and how that that caloric deprivation for a period of time made these men do things that they ordinarily wouldn't. When people are truly in a state of starvation, they will eat, like this goes beyond just like, would you kill an animal? But like they will eat things that they normally would never think they would eat. So I would just keep that in mind. Like you don't, (laughs) you don't know what you would really do until you're in that situation. You can't really judge what your thought process would be based on what your thought process is now as you are probably fully nourished and not in a state of extreme starvation. And now we live in a world where we have food available to us. We have farmers and butchers and people who do the dirty work for us. Let's be honest. So while this might sound harsh, why not take advantage of the fact that someone else can do can do that for us? Um, but if we were in a situation where that wasn't available, where you were in the wild and you had to kill an animal to survive, I mean, I would do it if I had to survive. Um, if I was that hungry, yeah. And also if you're in that situation. Okay, do you really think that if these, if you were trapped in a room with that animal and they had to eat, they wouldn't kill you? And that might seem really harsh and intense, but like that's just the truth of it. Like this is survival of the fittest and this is why like we have evolved larger brains Um with that also came a wider range of emotions. So we have this sort of cognitive dissonance and we have these these issues, these feelings around animals, which just makes it hard. It makes it hard for us to, um, you know, kill animals. Because killing, killing animals is, you know, no one wants to kill anything. But also, this is why it was easier for people who are more primitive because I don't, they weren't as highly evolved and didn't attach themselves so much to it. The same way animals don't you think they feel guilt when they kill another animal to eat? No, that's what they have to do to survive. Like this is just the food chain. This is life. Um, also, I mean, if you really, I, I don't even know if I would have to because if you think about caveman culture, I mean, men were really the hunters and women were the gatherers mostly. So as a woman, I probably wouldn't have had to. And this kind of ties back to, you know, I know this is okay. I'm a huge feminist honestly, but women are more emotional than men. Like, let's just be honest. And that's part of just having maternal instincts. Like we have that driving us because to, to kind of raise kids versus men are able to detach more. So it's easier emotionally for a man to kill an animal. Um, I'm talking about like in caveman days. And this is also kind of ties back to like why, why men were put into battle and women not, and kind of arguments nowadays, like, sh- should women be drafted if there was a draft? Well, it, it's, I mean, God, this is a whole other issue, but, like, I feel like a lot of women, not everyone, like, I'm making huge generalizations here. I totally recognize that, so it's definitely not true for everybody, but I think it would be harder for a lot of women to go out on a battlefield and, like, fight and kill each other in war for instance whereas men it are able to more so and i'm not saying at all that that doesn't destroy them emotionally because ptsd is extremely serious and men are very emotional as well 
they're human and they feel and they feel bad. But this, I mean, I'm talking like if we're going way back into evolution um, and kind of like why those gender stereotypes were created. Um, so, but this is the thing, either way, if I was trapped on an island and no, and I was by myself and there was an animal there and I needed to eat, yeah, I would do it. Like I just would. Um, and I also, I have, I was talking to my friend about this and she like, is on a formal and she's like are you kidding she's like i kill animals all the time it's just like the way you have to live and a lot of people who work on a farm see it differently as well and you also have to understand like there are no one no one is talking about sitting there torturing this animal like you want to do it as humanely as you can right like you want a quick death um but my point is i was trapped on an island either that animal would kill me or i would have to kill it well someone has to live And at the end of the day, I choose myself over an animal. I'm sorry. I just do. Um, Maybe that sounds harsh, but I mean, and this is the thing with vegans, like when they're coming down to, you know, wanting to save the animals. And I'm like, I I really respect that. But also you have to understand that you're picking an animal over a human because you can't truly be healthy and live and be vegan all the time. Like if you're hundred percent vegan, um, you can't, be healthy biologically, you're not getting all the nutrition you need. So that's fine if you make that choice, but you're making that choice and you're also making that choice of choosing an animal's life over your own, basically, is how I see it. So that, sorry if I ruffle any feathers, but, well, not sorry, because that's just how I feel. And for someone to fault people for eating meat that they didn't kill themselves, um is really ignorant in my opinion. However, I do think it brings up a really valuable point in that we do need to be more conscious and aware of what we're eating. Like we have become so detached from where our food comes from. And that is really mindful eating to me when when you really think about where did this food come from and you recognize the hard work that went into, you know, getting this meat or getting these vegetables and I know for me it was really eye-opening the more I learned about this or like even just like going to a farm and learning about all of the hard work it takes to even just talking about vegetables grow vegetables and you know pick everything and I mean that's a lot of physical labor and when you have that experience learn more about that or if you have chickens in your backyard and see the animals yeah you probably would feel differently about your food you probably appreciate your food a lot more you might eat differently um, and that's a super important point to make. So she's, I mean, I definitely think that is a really good thing that she brings up. And a lot of us are detached and we don't even think about where our food comes from or the hard work that goes into it or what, what that was like emotionally or what that, what that means that we are killing animals. It's important to recognize that and, and see that side of the equation. And maybe that means you would eat less meat and when you really realize that than than you were but it uh, for me doesn't mean that I would eliminate animal products from my diet because again I I want to be healthy I really do and you need them to be healthy 100% so yeah living like our ancestors this is the thing we are lucky enough to live in a world where we can like take shortcuts for things and yeah in terms of health 
it's ideal to try and live like our ancestors, but we get the perks of living like our ancestors in a way that's not uncomfortable versus they had to do much harder shit to be more comfortable. Um, or maybe they were uncomfortable the whole time. Um, and that was hard. And now we are more evolved and we have more technology. So we're taking advantage of that. And I think sometimes that's a negative. So, I mean, it's, it's a positive in terms of ease of life and we can get more done and keep progressing. It's a, it's a negative in the sense of people don't stop to think where their food has come from or like what went into that and they just eat mindlessly and also an overabundance of food for many people. And that's an issue as well. And we do have to recognize that. But I mean, this is also an issue for like vegans. Like even if you don't eat animal products, people need to start thinking about what is going into their highly processed packaged food. It's disgusting what goes into that. Like how people are making hydrogenated oils. Like that is horrible too. So yeah, there's a, that's a big, a big topic. And then her other comment was that she would love for me to address how eating animal products increases the long-term internal health markers that increase your risk of heart disease. Oh my God. I'm like, how many times are people going to comment this? And I try because when people comment this, I'm like, I literally can't respond to this in a comment. I just can't. People have made movies about this. They've written books about it. So I try and like send them to these these 500 page books if you really want to get into this but it's a it's okay you guys if you still think that eating animal products increases your risk of heart disease just point blank like that you're behind on the times this is very outdated um very outdated eating animal products eating meat does not increase your risk of heart disease. Heart disease risk goes up when you are eating inflammatory foods, especially sugar, highly refined carbohydrates, inflammatory oils. These are things that are going to contribute to heart disease. The the reason why an animal product might increase risk of heart disease is if you are eating animal products that are from conventional sources. So this is why I am such a stickler about where my animal products come from. I like to eat 100% grass-fed meat. I like to eat wild-caught fish. And I like to eat organic, pasture-raised, all of these things. Okay, so if you are eating animals who are fed grains and fed sugar, they feed some they feed some cows skittles. I don't even understand. Um, <laughs> and inflammatory oils. Then you're getting an inflammatory meat. What your what your animals eat, you are eating. If you eat, then eat the animal. So if you are eating well sourced proteins, you don't need to worry about this at all. You need to worry mostly about eating too many refined carbs and having really elevated blood sugar levels. You want to avoid commercially produced meats and poultry, the ones that have added hormones, pesticides, and chemicals. All that increases inflammation and that will increase your risk for heart disease. There are a plethora 
of studies showing that a paleo diet can, in fact, reduce almost every risk factor for heart disease. It helps to reduce your blood pressure, your total cholesterol, your LDL cholesterol, your triglycerides, your BMI. It helps to boost your HDL cholesterol. That's our good cholesterol. Helps to regulate blood sugar. And I mean, that's why I'm such a fan of the paleo, the paleo diet. That's why I have a whole online course, the Paleo Women Lifestyle Program. If you want to avoid heart disease, your best bet is to regulate your blood sugar. It's to eat plenty of omega-3 rich seafood. Make sure you don't smoke. Get a ton of sleep. Manage your stress. Eat plenty of fiber. And here's the thing on a paleo diet. I mean, I eat more vegetables than most vegans or vegetarians. I'm just going to say that. Um, Yeah. That is what I have to say. Get get some good saturated fats in your whole food forms, eggs, organ meats, monounsaturated fats from avocados, olive oil, olives. Get plenty of vitamin D. Get good exercise in. All of those things will really, really help to prevent your risk of heart disease. And that is a very short generalized view but there are some great books if you're worried about heart disease and meat consumption i recommend you check out the book the big fat surprise by nina teicholtz um excellent book so many references you can read all of all of it it's great and there are a ton of other books but that's my top rack for you right now okay so that's what i have to say to this girl who ended her comment with an upside down smiley face so I know what you're trying to do. I know what you're trying to do. All right, let's move on. So a lot of you guys liked the format I had last time where I kind of just tried to get through a bunch of questions and didn't have as lengthy responses as I could have. So I'm going to try and emulate that for the last like 20 minutes of this podcast. And hopefully you like this again. But this is actually a longer question, but I do want to address it. So Someone said, what are your thoughts on too much fiber? Specifically from two perspectives. One, giving your digestive system a break. Low fiber, carnivore diet, break, fasting. Two, I think there are girls out there that eat a lot of fibrous foods, foods high in volume, and that can cause a lot of gas. Is it because we need to strike a better balance with fiber intake or rather there is more likely a bigger gut-related issue? From a personal standpoint, I've been trying to determine what triggers what seems to be cyclical stages where I have consecutive gassy days. Sorry, TMI, but foul flatulence is really embarrassing. And... I would definitely want to fix it. I haven't been able to identify a specific food trigger and know that I consume a lot of fiber. I know that can cause gas, but it is particularly bad smelling, which makes me think it could be something gut-related versus just driven by diet. Okay, this is a really good question and has a lot of moving parts. So I think that this is highly individual. First of all, like, again, we're all bio-individual and some people can handle more fiber than others. 
and there are different aspects to this. So I do think that there are a lot of people who might actually just be eating way too much fiber. And this ties back to what I was talking about on the my carnivore diet podcast and blog posts. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't think we nest. Not everyone needs that much fiber, but there's conflicting anthropological research on this. Like, in terms of hunter gatherers, we see hunter gatherers who have eaten like a shit ton of fiber to be frank about it like so so many vegetables during the day like I can't even understand but we also have different guts now and you know I think that our cecums might have even gotten smaller since that time slash we are dealing with a lot of other issues because we live in the context of modern society and more people have gut dysbiosis as well so I definitely see the value in giving your digestive system a break for a bit. So maybe just like reducing the fiber for a bit. Like doesn't, I'm not saying you need to go carnivore at all, but like maybe reducing your fiber um, and seeing if you feel better just to find out for yourself. Cause maybe, maybe that's a big piece of it. But I, I do think that a lot of people on Instagram eat too many vegetables I do think that there's like an upper limit. I think there's an upper limit to everything, to be quite honest. Um, but I think that most people like that I meet in real life don't eat enough. So it kind of depends on the population you're talking to. Um, <laughs> you know, it's hard to know without like seeing what someone's eating, really. I, I see the value in giving your digestive system a break and kind of seeing what happens when you add foods back in. Um, and so I, I think that a lot of people use vegetables Honestly, this is what I see with a lot of my clients. They're using vegetables to fill themselves up instead of actually eating foods that fill them up because I'm not sure if this is just a cultural conditioning thing or if they're just kind of a little bit scared of eating foods with more calories because I know a lot of people see vegetables as like free food and people are afraid to eat more meat and fat. And... uh. I think that people would have a lot better digestion if they ate more, a lot more protein and fat, fat especially, and ease down on the veggies. And you might find that you, if you just ate a little bit more, assuming you have to go to town on fat and meat, but like if you ate a little bit more protein and fat, you might find that like you weren't as hungry and you didn't want to eat 3 million cups of vegetables. You know what I mean? So there's that. The other thing is if you're eating... Okay, but even it, say you're eating like a normal amount of vegetables, like it's not the amount of vegetables. There are a few other things that could be going on. So it might definitely be an underlying gut issue. Like if you have gut dysbiosis and you're just eating more and more fiber, that can just kind of you know, add more fuel to the fiber and stress your system out more. And there are different types of fiber. There's insoluble and soluble. And sometimes when you're adding a ton of insoluble fiber specifically, that's kind of just like scraping through your digestive tract and causing more and more issues. And if you have a leaky gut, you might have developed intolerances to a lot of vegetables if you're eating them often. And then when you're eating those things that you're intolerant to, that could be causing bloating, more inflammation, and that's an issue on itself. So if you have gut issues, if you have leaky gut, you'd want to work on healing that leaky gut. Or also just in terms of dysbiosis, um, going to the underlying 
root issue. So maybe you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth is probably the most common in this context. And especially when she's talking about smelly flatulence, this is kind of a big indicator specifically if it smells like rotten eggs, you need to look into the sulfur component. So hydrogen sulfide SIBO is something that is not as well understood as the other types of SIBO, but you know, I think a lot more people have this than we might, rec- we might recognize, and it's being studied right now, and you would want to look into the sulfur content of your food um, and see that might be that might be an issue as well, which brings me back to sometimes maybe you don't have some big underlying gut dysbiosis. Maybe you don't have a bacterial overgrowth, um, but maybe there are just vegetables that don't do as well for you. So a lot of people find that cruciferous vegetables can be hard on their digestion, so maybe... try you know reducing your consumption of cruciferous vegetables um and seeing how that goes and that comes with different levels so 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 for some people they reduce cruciferous vegetables and these are things like cauliflower broccoli kale um brussels sprouts you can just google cruciferous vegetables and you'll find a list um and that's enough other people might find that they have a bigger issue with FODMAPs. So FODMAPs stand for fermentable oligo dye monosaccharides and polyols. They're basically short chain carbohydrates in different vegetables that people, some people can't digest as well. So this is why some people go on a low FODMAP diet and see a lot of great results. Our bloating goes down, they have less digestive pain and it's typically not an issue of being intolerant to all FODMAPs, but usually people will go on a low FODMAP diet, get some relief, and then we figure out exactly which FODMAPs are causing them issues. So you usually don't have to stay completely low FODMAP forever. And also the thing with FODMAPs is sometimes it's just an issue of how much of the food you're eating. So like maybe you're maybe you're okay with half a cup of broccoli, but when you get to a cup, at once, it's too much and that causes issues, you know, things like that. And so the idea with FODMAPs is all about amounts of things. And even if it's not FODMAPs specifically, you might find that with any food that you're intolerant to. So maybe you find like you're okay with a cup of cruciferous vegetables, but if you have more than a cup, that's what's causing issues. So I'd toy around with sort of the amounts in your diet and see how that, how that goes. But also what's really important to digest to wow to digest to address yeah to digest is like why maybe your digestive system in general isn't functioning properly so this is why i'm all about like root cause and i mean maybe some digestive enzymes would do you well how is your hydrochloric acid how is your stomach acid production maybe you need some digestive bitters or you need to include more apple cider vinegar in foods maybe you're just not cooking them well enough maybe you're just not chewing these are two huge things i chat with the girls in my program about all the time in my clients you would be surprised like i want you before you do anything else like if you're not chewing your food 30 to 40 times then I mean, maybe that's why. And that sounds like a lot of chewing, but like you got to pulverize your food in your mouth to really start the digestive process because digestion starts in our brains and then our mouths and then it moves down to the stomach, then to the small intestine. It's like, 
it's it's way further up and you got to support the whole process so if you're not supporting the process of digestion from the very beginning which starts with eating in a parasympathetic state being calm taking a few deep breaths relaxing and then chewing a lot and then swallowing that is incredibly important so make sure you're chewing very thoroughly and eating slowly I can't tell you how many people have noticed a huge difference in their bloating just from chewing more. Also, kind of going back to supporting just the breaking down of our foods, if you're eating a lot of vegetables and dealing with bloating, I recommend consuming cooked vegetables more so. It's much easier in digestion than raw vegetables. So if you're eating raw kale and having digestive issues, maybe don't do that. I would have cooked vegetables and leaning more towards like softer things like squash some cooked squash that sounds nice don't you think (laughs) Um, but yeah you want to kind of go all the way back up to the top of the digestive process and support it from there make sure you're chewing make sure you are cooking your food properly make sure that you're calm when you're eating i would make sure that you are supporting your stomach acid and you might need some digestive enzymes. I personally use the Terrazyme ones from doTERRA. I love those ones. And also, like, how is your gut flora in general? Are you can, are you using a good probiotic? Um, are you using a bad probiotic? Because that could make things worse too. And if you have any dysbiosis, any bacterial overgrowth, you might need to address those. And... Also, with gas, I just need to put this out there. I know she's talking about vegetables in this question, but, like, maybe it's not vegetables. Maybe it's eggs, or maybe it's nuts and seeds, or maybe it's sugar or artificial sweeteners. Um, This is what the symptoms she's describing is really common. I see in my clients who are consuming stevia and, like, xylitol just going to put that out there. So I'd look at those two, which someone else asked, um, a question about what are my thoughts on stevia? My thoughts on stevia are that I avoid it. I don't like it. It's a gut irritant. It causes bloating. It's a processed food. I mean, I've, I've, I've personally never met someone who eats real stevia. Like it's green. It's a leaf. Everyone uses the processed version. So either this white powder or these, these drops, it's a processed food. And Um, It is a huge gut irritant for that reason. It goes through like a 42-step chemical process or something crazy like that to refine it, basically. I mean, I would eat stevia with the like same frequency I would eat anything in that realm. Like I've definitely eaten things with stevia, but I definitely don't want to put that in my body every day. And I don't recommend anyone does, but it's like, I don't know. If I randomly have a dessert and has stevia in it, or if I have stevia every once in a while, it's fine. I probably get bloated the next day. Um, the other thing is, I don't really like the taste of stevia. I don't like the aftertaste. Some people really like the taste, but I don't. And it's also much, much sweeter than sugar. The raw leaves are about 40 times sweeter than sugar, and then the powdered sweetener, the powdered stevia, is 200 to 300 times sweeter. And I think we all know that my taste buds have evolved to not really 
be able to handle super sweet things anyways, as I am the type of person who thinks that something with cinnamon, anything with cinnamon, vegetables with cinnamon tastes like dessert. I also just in terms of zero calorie sweeteners, I'm just not a fan because I think it really toys with your hunger signals. And not only do most of those cause digestive distress, but they also can cause weird blood sugar spikes. So there are plenty of people whose blood sugar spikes from zero calorie sweeteners and you're confusing your body. When your body gets that sweet sensation, it's expecting calories. It's expecting foods and it can still stimulate the release of insulin. And not everybody's blood sugar spikes from these, but plenty of people, it, it does. Um, and that's even more confusing to the body because if it's getting the sweet flavor and then it it kind of like wants to secrete insulin and deal with the sugar and then it's not getting any food or any calories attached to that, this can create a stress response in the body. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I mean, I would prefer, I would rather personally, if I'm going to have a sweetener, I would prefer to have um, either like, I mean, I would prefer to have maple syrup or honey, ideally. It doesn't mean I never eat stevia. I just like definitely not my top choice. It's like a three times a year occasion when that's my only, my only option. That's my opinion on stevia. And then somebody asked, what do you have to say about waking up with digestive discomfort before eating anything? Any ideas? I'm taking ACV. Yeah. So if you're waking up with digestive discomfort before eating anything there, I have a few ideas. The first would be, um, what did you eat for dinner? Um, also what time did you eat dinner? Sometimes if you if you ate right before you slept, that can leave you bloated in the morning. Um, you know, that's why sometimes to support digestion, it's best to leave a few hours in between eating and bed. I know when I eat really close to bed, I pretty much always wake up bloated the next morning. Um, that's something to take into consideration the timing, but also like what you ate. So did you eat something that was bloating you? And I think that sometimes people think that bloating is like, okay, I ate something and then right after I got bloated, therefore what I just ate causes bloating. And no, not necessarily. This could be something you ate um, a few meals before, a few days before, but it, it, but if this is happening like all the time, no matter what you eat, um, then you probably have an underlying gut issue. So you probably have some type of dysbiosis. Maybe you have a candida overgrowth. Maybe you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Maybe you have just some random bacterial overgrowth going on. Um, yeah, that, that I would check into the underlying issue there. Okay. What else? Uh, how to deal with acne in a natural way versus using harsh products. Okay. Yeah. This is like a huge topic, multifaceted approach. Um, you need to address the products you're using. So stop using conventional toxic products, switch to non-toxic, safer skincare. That's not going to aggravate your skin. Stop using coconut oil. It's going to clog your pores. Um, if you use coconut oil on your face and also diet. So the big thing with acne is this is as very much internal as external. So with, with diet, remove sugar, gluten, dairy. Those are the biggest triggers, but also other people have triggers like sometimes eggs, nuts and seeds, or any food that you're intolerant to could cause, um, acne. 
it could aggravate you. But definitely sugar, gluten, and dairy are the biggest aggravators when it comes to acne. And this also uh, goes along with healing your gut. So um, if you have a leaky gut, this can cause acne as well. Or if you have candida or any other other type of dysbiosis, which we already talked about, um, healing your gut will help to get rid of your acne. You got to work from the inside out. Um, so this could be a good probiotic. This could be maybe going on antifungals or herbals. I would talk to a practitioner and see what was going on with you specifically so they can, um, help you through that. But sometimes just a good probiotic, maybe some gut support, some L-glutamine, collagen, healing the gut can be, um, useful enough. Some bone broth, bone broth is incredibly healing for the gut and the immune system. And, that is really, really important. Um, also, nutrient deficiencies. So zinc is a common one I recommend looking into. If you are low in zinc, sometimes supplementing with zinc can be helpful. Um, also, make sure you're getting enough vitamin A. This is where organ meats is great or beef liver capsules can be amazing. Um, so get your vitamin A through that, for th- through those foods mainly. And also plenty of healthy fats. So make sure you're eating some avocados, some wild caught fish, maybe some walnuts, um, get your omega-3s in. That's really good. Make sure you're getting um, plenty of omega-3s, less omega-6s. You want to eliminate the processed foods and that is key. Also just in general, balancing your hormones. So if your acne is hormonal, like if you want to get rid of it, you got to balance your hormones. Um, which, you know, means managing your stress. It means paying attention to the products you're using. Um, Stop storing your food in plastic. Don't cook your food in aluminum. Um, Paying attention to your personal care products, your your household care, cleaners, all of that stuff. So balancing your hormones. Um, I have a whole module on this in my Paleo Women Lifestyle Program, my online course, a whole module on balancing hormones and everything you need to do um, can also help to avoid phytoestrogen. So I definitely avoid soy as well. Um, and yeah, that online, you can take that online course right now. You can go online and sign up for it um, on my website. So that's kind of the quick and simple acne. In terms of products, there are a few products that I recommend. The charcoal bar from Beauty Counter and the charcoal mask are like amazing for acne. Also, um, tea tree oil is really great to for spot treatment. And I think, what else? Oh, Clear Stem um, is a great product that helps a lot of people with their acne and it's it's specifically designed to fight acne and is all non-toxic clean ingredients and there's also gonna be stay tuned a really great new acne line coming out from someone can't say who and doTERRA has their line HD clear I really like to use their little roller ball spot treatment as well so that's kind of just some quick spot treatment things um okay favorite omega-3 supplement source for joint pain specifically um my favorite omega-3 supplement source is to eat foods high in omega-3s so increase your fatty fish intake eat more wild-caught salmon you can get canned salmon from trader joe's it's wild-caught um i'm 
I'm a big fan of real foods, not supplements. Joint pain, I would also supplement with collagen. I would make sure you're not eating gluten. I would also look into nightshade sensitivity as well. Best collagen peptides to take. I'm not sure there's a best. There's a lot of brands. I mean, I I use Vital Proteins mostly. I also use Primal Kitchen Collagen. Um, Great Lakes has collagen. It's kind of like preference. I think those are the three brands where I, I trust the sourcing the most. Not to say there aren't other brands that do, but you definitely want to be particular about sourcing. And those just are the ones I, I like to use. I, I use Vital Proteins the most. I've been using that for four years, four or five years at this point. So yeah. Okay. Where do I stand on starchy carbs like sweet potatoes and carrots and beets in one's diet? Ooh, loaded question. No, I think that these are great foods that have a lot of nutritional value to them and they're great to include in your diet. Beets especially, incredible for digestion, supporting bile, bioproduction to help us digest our fats, great for detox, supports the liver, amazing. I think that this is a a tricky conversation because, you know, carbs are so controversial nowadays, but like it, it depends on your goals and what you're doing as to how many starches you want to include in your diet. So if someone's incredibly insulin resistant, they might want to reduce those. If someone is dealing with a gut issue that is not going away, you might want to reduce those. Those tend to be the carbs that the gut bugs like to feed on. So that might be exacerbating issues. However, I'm really over this demonization of carbohydrates all the time. I think especially women, I think that men can more so get away with like going a longer period of time without any starchy carbs. However, I think that for most women, they're really important and they play a a lot of important roles in the body. And I think that the issue is like, I don't like the idea of most people sitting down and eating like a plate of sweet potatoes for three meals a day. Like there's an upper limit. I think it's more of just like balancing but the thing is that people have different carb tolerances so this is why it's interesting to look at like where your ancestors are from and why you might maybe you might do better on a higher carb diet and it makes sense in terms of like where your ancestors come from like if you're closer to the equator those people tended to eat more carbohydrates um and so might do better on like eating a diet like that you know things like that are interesting to look into so I think everyone has their own tolerance level I recommend keeping it to like a serving at a time for most people for most times um and a serving would be like a cup or like one like one sweet potato one plantain I don't know like the size of your fist just like in that realm or you might find if you're more sensitive maybe you need less um I, I just think it's good to balance it. And I also think that they should be eaten alongside um, protein and or fat to help blunt the blood sugar response. I think that if you're eating them in the evening, they can be really, really supportive for sleep. And it's good to pair that with some fat um, to help you know keep the insulin spike down. I think that nighttime is the best time to car- to 
to time your carbs if you're trying to time them or around a workout. But, you know, carbohydrates are really important for our thyroid for to, to support our metabolism, our appetite, digestion, gut motility. It's, they're important for leptin sensitivity, um, protein metabolism, helping to build muscle, um, also really helpful for like the remodeling of bones and bone growth turnover and a number of different hormones throughout our bodies as well as our immune systems. This, this is something that I didn't actually learn about until earlier this year was like how important glucose is for our immune system to function properly. Um, and I mean, they also impact our mood and cognition. So I mean, carbohydrates have play a really valuable role, especially for women and like supporting the thyroid and hunger signals. I definitely know that like for me, I went too long without starches and that totally messed up my leptin signaling, which like leptin, if you're not familiar with leptin, basically we have this hormone called leptin that makes us feel full. So if your leptin signaling is off, you can like maybe just never feel full. <laughs> So, yeah, I think that long going too long without starches is not the best idea for the majority of people. Um, that doesn't mean everybody needs to eat a lot of starches. I definitely lean more on the less starch side of things, but I've been trying to increase my carb tolerance because I want to eat more carbs to support my thyroid personally. And... I just keep it in balance with other foods and I eat it with with protein and fat or maybe both, maybe just one or the other. Um, I, yeah, I think that if you are dealing with um, hormonal issues, this is something maybe to look into or if you're reaching a plateau in any sense. So even like weight loss plateaus, if you, if you're, if you're trying to lose weight and you've been eating low carb for a while and you've hit a plateau, oftentimes I find adding um, starches back in can help kind of snap someone out of that. I just think that they need to be in balance. And I also am generally not a fan of them first thing in the morning. Uh, I think that breakfast should usually be more protein and fat. So that's where I stand on starchy carbs. I think time them properly. I, I also, I did a whole article about that in my health education newsletter that went out last week. If you want to get my little newsletters, which are very long in-depth articles about random things, um, you can sign up for that on my website. But I did a whole in-depth post about that. But I think just timing them and just like making sure they're in balance with other foods, but like we don't need to be afraid of them. And there are, there are detrimental effects for some people long-term who who like long-term avoiding them. And the thing is thinking about who, who you are. Like if you're a man, you can much, you can, you can more so get away with having less of them. And also if you're inactive, like the more active you are, the more you could probably use these. And then depends on the type of activity you're doing. Like if you're doing highly glycolytic activity, you probably need more carbs. Um, you might, or maybe you don't need them, but you feel better on them. Like you don't need them technically you don't need them but that doesn't mean it's optimal that doesn't mean you won't feel your best or suffer ill effects but a lot of the people who are like don't ever eat a starch are men men just saying or people who are sedentary and don't move so that's my thought and since this is kind of related i will wrap up here so somebody asked what my thoughts are on food combining i think that for most people food combining doesn't matter like 
for most people, it doesn't matter. Like, so food combining, the idea is that certain foods should be combined slash not combined. So basically the idea is like you can eat non-starchy vegetable, and this has to do with digestion basically. So you can eat non-starchy vegetables with anything. Protein and fats can be eaten with um, non-starchy vegetables. Starches should not be eaten with protein and fruits should be eaten alone on an empty stomach. And I think that, like I said, for most people, this doesn't matter. But if there's someone who's kind of done everything and their digestion is still out of whack, this is something I will explore because I think for some people it does help and it does make a difference. Um, I know for me, I've been, I've actually been playing around with this a lot and I've been doing a lot of dinners where I just eat, um, starch, non-starchy, starches, non-starchy vegetables, and plenty of fat. And I think that it digests pretty well for me. And sometimes I notice that having too much protein with a starch messes things up. But I mean, I think also a lot of people say this for fruit. This is why people say eat fruit alone because of digestion. Because the thing is you don't, okay, different types of macronutrients digest at different rates in our systems. So the idea is that like you don't want to put something like a protein that takes a longer time to digest with a food that takes a faster time to digest because you're kind of like stopping it from moving through your digestive system and then it ferments. And I'm not, I just don't think this is an issue for a lot of people. Um, but with the fruit thing, for instance, that's why they say to eat fruit alone. So it's not bogged down. It can just move through, through a digestive tract. But my issue is a lot of times people who eat fruit by itself then have severe blood sugar issues. And that's not good either. So like you have to think about like what, what your issue is that you're trying to address here. I know for me personally, I cannot eat fruit by itself. Like I have severe blood sugar issues if I do that. I always need to eat it with a protein or a fat or both. Like I usually would have it with like nut butter or something and that will help slow the glycemic response and I don't have blood sugar issues like I would if I had it myself. So I know like if I just have a piece of fruit personally, I will have basically an energy crash later and I'll get dizzy and have hunger cravings later on just because my blood sugar has spiked so much with nothing to blunt that response. Um, so I'm the, so I'm like, no, I will eat protein and fat and I don't see a digestive problem. But, um, if you don't have any blood sugar issues and don't notice that and you're having digestive issues, then maybe it applies to you. So this goes back to you as an individual. And like, if this is something you're curious, if it affects you, try it. Like, why not try it for a few days if you really want to know if it if it makes you feel better to practice food combining rules, which you can definitely just Google. There's all these things. But I think, honestly, the importance of that is widely overstated. And, like, I think for 95% of people, it doesn't make a difference and would just stress people out more to try and worry about that. I have, I have personally actually never... I've maybe met one person who this works for. 
And then a few other people were like, oh yeah, sometimes I notice it. And then everyone else is like, no, it doesn't, it doesn't really make a difference. So, okay. I think that's where I'll I'll end it right now because I'm really hungry, honestly, and I want to go eat lunch. So this was really fun. We talked a lot about digestion. I see there and I didn't get through as many questions as I wanted, but I spent a long time talking about Reiki and the vegan person's comment. So hopefully that was helpful and I'll save all the other questions and do it in another Q&A. So I really hope that you guys liked this episode. If you enjoy Q&A episodes, please let me know. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and I would love to hear if you like a ton of questions all over the board or if you just like episodes that are solo episodes where I just talk about one main topic but let me know you can comment on an Instagram photo so I see it or you can put it in the Facebook group wellness realness podcast tribe I would love to have you in there you can meet other people and also so many of these questions it's so funny because I'm like this is all stuff I literally go into depth in in my online course the paleo women lifestyle program and you can go to bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle or just go to my website christinaricewellness.com under the courses tab and check out check out that course to see if you want to do it it's all online you can do it at your own pace five modules which will take you probably um more than five weeks to get through because I have a ton of information in there. You get video and audio lectures, PDFs that you can download and reference, and basically everything I think every woman needs to know is in there. So check that out. And if you enjoyed this podcast and want to support me, the best way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. It'll only take you a second and also just telling other people about the podcast. So when you guys share it on Instagram, when you post about it on Facebook, just when you tell your friends, when you tell your Uber drivers, when a guy asks for your phone number and he gives you his phone and you input it and then also casually go to iTunes and subscribe him to my podcast, that's all super helpful to getting the word out. So thanks again for listening. This was so much fun. As usual, I love love these chats we have i hope that you have a wonderful week i'm not on instagram this week so you won't see much from me but i can't wait to come back and say hi so enjoy your day and i will talk to you again next week bye